Hey everybody, Suxido here, and in today's episode, I have Dr. Amelia Thompson with me. Thanks for joining me, Amelia. Thank you for having me. I feel like you were going to stumble on my name there. Like, oh, that's a good start. I nearly did. I think I almost added an M to the end of Amelia, Emilium, um, <laughs> new name. So during this chat, we're going to talk obviously about your business and, and your background a little bit in the in the industry prior to to ETPHD coaching uh, and EIQ as well. But before we dive into detail, do you want to just give people a quick overview of who you are and, and what your business is? Sure. So I am a nutrition consultant by trade, but I run ETPHD coaching, like you said, which is a team of coaches who work predominantly with people trying to improve their relationship with food, the relationship with exercise, or their relationship with their body. Um, I also run and co-run EIQ Nutrition with Emma Story Gordon, which is an online evidence-based nutrition course specifically for personal trainers who are looking to provide more of a holistic evidence-based approach to the work that they do with their clients. And I also co-run Level Up events with Emma as well, which is kind of live events that we run twice a year, which we only launched last year, which is a kind of a culmination of all of that EIQ stuff that I just said but in person where we get industry leaders in to talk about, again, evidence-based nutrition, coaching skills, training, um, and application to practice. <clears throat> Amazing. So I feel like you, you talk a lot about the coaching element. So today we want to talk about the business side of things. Um, so where did, in fact, before we get into the business side of things, um, prior to coaching, what were you doing? I was an academic, so, <coughs> excuse me, um, I was an academic, so I was, I did my PhD at Loughborough Uni, and I went on after that to lecture at Manchester Metropolitan for four years, so I wrote um, an undergraduate course in sport nutrition, and a postgrad course in sport nutrition, and that's what I was going to do for the rest of my life, like, teaching and research, and I kind of just fell into the business side of the stuff, which I sometimes feel like is quite obvious, but I don't know. <laughs> I think you've done very well, um, considering you just, it was never the plan. So you're an academic, you're lecturing at uni and competing, right? At the same time, is that right? In bodybuilding? Yeah, so I, yeah, I was a bodybuilder. So I had like my own dysfunctional relationship with food since I was about 16 years old or something like that. And I fell into bodybuilding like a lot of people do to try and mask their own issues with food and so I was doing my PhD and I fell into competing at that time and all the way throughout basically at the time I was teaching I was um, bodybuilding as well so I was kind of a lot of my students were in fitness like my sport nutrition students so they would like I had to be really open about it I'd go to uni and I'd be like this is me in a bikini you're going to see this online and yeah. at the same time I was talking about like nutrition and science in fitness so I kind of married the worlds kind of together um, but yeah I competed for four years something like that and I finished in 2017 second in Britain I always like to throw that in there because I feel like I'm quite proud still even this long past and I would never do it again but yeah I quite I loved it at the time amazing and then at some point in that phase of your life you started a blog right so so tell us about that yeah so the like I've always loved writing like I used to write little books when I was a kid and I like to journal and so when I was competing, I it was when fitness was really still really, really bro and nobody spoke about anything honest whatsoever. And I found after my first show that I was binge eating and that I didn't have anyone to turn to. My coach was at the time was fine, 
but I didn't really tell him a lot because I was so ashamed that I was binging and I kind of fell into like a huge binge restrict cycle and nobody it was like I was the only person I genuinely thought I was the only person and so I used to just write stuff down on my computer about how I was feeling and I just started sharing it I can't even remember what the blog site was at the time but it was just some random blog site and I just started putting them online and I would share them on my Instagram I didn't have a big following at the time at all and a to be honest, a lot of it was just built from like my arse because it was competing days. Um, but I would just share my blog and I, and I was super, super vulnerable. Again, I probably didn't even really know what the meaning of vulnerability at the time. I definitely didn't have a lot of boundaries, um, which maybe would change now. But I just started sharing basically my whole journey of competing, of my own troubled relationship with food and kind of the stuff that I was learning as I was going along. So because I was in research at the time, I knew that my coach didn't know what to do about me binging, but I knew that I could find the science to tell me what to do. So I just kind of fell into the research around restrictive diets, what happens physiologically, psychologically, and what they recommend people to do in the research. And that's where I found things like mindfulness and compassion and stuff like that. So as I was learning, I was incorporating it into my own nutrition, and then I was writing about it. And at the same time, I was also trying to be really sciencey. So I was talking about like this is how many grams of protein you should have and this is what I know from my lecturing and I, I didn't quite know what I was doing in terms of marrying them together because I wasn't trying to start a business at that point I was just literally this might help people I'm just going to start sharing all the stuff and so that was kind of how it was born and as I started sharing it people that I respected in the competing world would start to share it and that's probably and then I started to get a bit of a name for being someone who was quite honest about these things um when no one else really was yeah which is it, it's a great way to go about building a business when you don't even realize you're doing it when people start coming to you because you're talking about things that other people aren't um that was kind of the origins of ofb for me it was, i was talking about how hard being an online coach was at a time when everybody was saying it was do no work and find money from the sky somehow um so when when did that traffic, that kind of um, respect or authority start turning into you taking on clients? And, and how did you even know that, you know, that's something that you should do or wanted to do? Mm. Probably about 2015, 2016, so a year or two into competing, people literally just started coming to me and were like, do you do coaching? And I, at that point, I didn't. And I was like, oh, I never really thought about this before. And... I kind of kept saying no for initially and then I realized actually the types of people that were coming to me were just really looking for some sort of direction because there wasn't anyone else to do it um and so I thought oh I'll just take on a couple of people and just kind of see how it goes and my boyfriend at the time was a bodybuilder he had a he was a PT so he kind of was like this is sort of how I do things and so he taught me a little bit about what that would might look like online but I mean it was very bro old school stuff but I'd had one coach online and at that time when I first had a coach it was he was great but it was a pdf or a document um that was a training program and then on a Sunday morning he'd email me and was like hi Amelia how are things going and that was the extent of online coaching so I didn't really know what I was doing but I started taking on a couple of people at that point and I was still lecturing full time and then I didn't I didn't advertise I remember not advertising my business until I don't even think I'd le I think I'd left my full-time job and I still had clients and I still had never advertised that I was doing 
online coaching, but I had, I think when I left my full-time job, I had something like 15 or 16 clients um, just because of the workload I couldn't navigate to anymore. Um, and it, so I, it still wasn't technically, I didn't feel like it was a business really until I left like my job, which was like about a year and a half later. So yeah, I think I just had about five or 10 clients that I would do on a weekend for about a year before it felt like a business of any sort. What was the trigger to make you think, do you know what I want to, I'm going to leave my full-time career, the thing that I thought I was always going to do, and I'm going to pursue this business. Were you looking at it as, you know, I want to be an entrepreneur, business owner, or was it kind of just seen as the next path of your career? Like, how did you look at it and what triggered that change? Do you know what? One of my students triggered it, who I still speak to now. He was, I taught him all the way through his career. He was going to do the masters that I wanted to, that I had done, that I'd recommended. He was a bodybuilder, so he followed my work outside of teaching and we had a really good relationship and he was like I don't understand why you're helping all of us to do that when you could be doing that yourself like I don't really get it and I was always like well I love teaching and I loved lecturing and I will one day go back to it I think it's I loved it but I loved the helping people part I loved the student part I didn't love the the kind of political stuff I didn't like how slow moving everything was I didn't like research um so I kind of, it was quite a hard one for me because I genuinely loved what I did. But he'd said that to me and I thought, Do you know what, if you go away and, and start this business, I'm going to be jealous because I, that's what I want to do. And I, I think it was him that kind of triggered me to go, I could probably do this. Um, my mum's self-employed, my sister is self-employed. So it's kind of in our family to run our own businesses in some way. And at that point, I gave like six months notice to my job. It wasn't like a quick thing. But at that point, I was I'd been working. I was working like lecturing was quite a lot, especially as a new lecturer. You basically get given everything and you say yes to everything because you're trying to get better. So and I was one of those lecturers that wanted to be liked. So I would do like Snapchat in my classes and I was really like, let's just give them as much as I possibly can. So I was working like, I don't know, six in the morning until six at night in, at uni. And I'd go to Costa every day for three hours after work pretty much every single day and weekends and do my own company and I was prepping at the time too so I'd been doing that for about six months nine months and then I realized I needed to make a decision because I couldn't do both um, and so that's when I handed my notice in for like six months time and just kind of thought I'll just do it and I also knew lecturing would be there if I if I sunk I thought I can go back to lecturing it's kind of my trade so to speak so I thought I would just go for it and I and I wanted the freedom I wanted to go to California for three months I wanted to travel so for me it was that but I've always been led by how can I help the most people I know that sounds really um like hero complex type but it's a core value of mine to try and support people and I, I realize what it sounds like so for me it was like how can I help more people either through lecturing or doing this other stuff and and it was through coaching at that point cool just rolling it back a, uh, just a moment you mentioned like you, I think you said your mom and your sister were entrepreneurs or small business owners how did they react or how did your family react to you leaving this kind of safe career and and taking a leap of faith into being a business owner were they happy yeah super supportive my mom like I'm one of those people where I'm like if I'm going to do something I say I'll do it and that's it it's done like I make a decision and I stick to it and I'm not like a regretful person so as soon as I said I was going to do it my mom was like okay great like she's very, she's she's very much like whatever you put your mind to it, you'll do it. So she didn't doubt me at all. And she also had seen, like I'd been in academia for, like I studied for nine years or something like that. 
And then I was in academia and I was still earning like a decent wage, but it wasn't a great wage. I had a lot of student like debt to pay off and I hadn't had money for a very, very long time. And I was like, well, this is what this is what I want to do. And like, this is the potential. And I'd never done it for money. I never really thought about like future projections in terms of money. But I knew that I could earn at least my academic wage by doing less work. And, and ultimately, that's how I sort of said it to her um, and doing stuff that I love. Obviously, it wasn't less work. Obviously, it's been just it's been more work, but work that I love doing. Right. So um, she was always for it. Like, yeah, always. I never had anyone say, like, what are you doing? Apart from academics, because they didn't really understand. But everyone else was like, yeah, go wild. Amazing. OK, so you leave academics and go all in on your business. Uh, and it sounds like you didn't really have many issues getting clients. Is that right? Yeah, I, I don't think so. I think I had, I got to put maybe 20 clients relatively easily. And then I realized, but I was still in that stage of every time someone quit, I would panic because I, I needed 20 clients. And so I was constantly thinking about replacing people. I wasn't really forward thinking. Um, so I probably, I didn't struggle to get 20 clients, but then beyond that, then I was like, oh, I need to actually do something. But even then, I think even then I got up to about 50 or 60 clients, which for me was my maximum that I would ever work with anyway, having never really done anything to build that client base other than genuinely showing up on social media and just being authentic. But I will say that it sounds like it was quite easy, but I remember I met Spencer Nadolski at a conference once and he was, this was when infographics and stuff were taken off. And he had looked at my social media and he was like, your selfies are great, but realistically, this is the type of stuff that you should be doing and, and putting out like, more information. And I met him in November and for a full year, I committed to showing up on social media, doing three posts every single day, like seven, twelve, five, and having conversations every single day. I didn't know it, it was a business strategy or anything like that, but I thought that's what I need to do to grow my business and stuff. And so that's where my focus was. And so that was my way of getting clients it wasn't like this intentional i wasn't like cold dming people and i didn't have an email list i, I didn't really know what i was doing i was still writing my blog but that was the extent of it um but it was quite natural to me because i again i think i was really lucky right because people talk about relationships with food and stuff all the time now but at that time nobody did i think i was one of the first people well i was and i, I don't know why i feel i feel funny about saying it and i think it's a imposter thing probably a little bit but I don't like to say well I was the first to talk about relationships food I was the first to bring mindfulness into fitness but to be fair I was at least in the UK and so I was probably quite lucky that people were like oh what is this there's no one else around so at least until I had 50 60 clients and took on my first coach I'd never really had to push more than working really hard on being a good coach and social media just posting and showing up regularly that was the extent of it so how long did it take to get to that 50, 60 client mark from when you left uh, university or the university job? A year. I think it was about a year. Okay. I'd left in August. Um, and then, yeah, it was about a year later that I was away in California. And I realized that I had, like, that's when I thought I need to do something else. Because like, some other job, like some job offers came in to be part of education and fitness. And I realized I had the two not too many clients, but I was at my max. Um, so yeah, about a year, maybe even a bit less than that, to be honest, maybe about nine months. And then is that the point where you decided 
you were going to hire another coach. What what was your thought process around that time when you were thinking, right, I'm full, but there's still opportunity here? Like, where was your head at then? Um, so for me, I got offered a job with Optimum Nutrition to write their nutrition online nutrition course. And I didn't realize, I didn't really think about where I would fit that time. And I'm very much like a yes person. I'm like, I'll figure out where the time comes from when I have to figure out where the time comes from. And so then I started to do that work. And then I realized like, oh, I actually literally don't have the time to do it. And at the time, I had a really good client who'd worked with me for two, like since the big, basically since the beginning, she'd been through the full process of when I started coaching, which was like an email and a a pdf to where we're at now on on the portal and stuff and i thought she she's a pt she'd done a nutrition course and i remember thinking she could possibly do something in my business and i didn't really know what it was and so whilst i was super busy i'd sort of started this is a horrible phrase but like kind of grooming her a little bit in terms of like what do you want to do with your business and you know um what do you want to do with your business where do you like where do you want to go and pushing her in that way and so I think it was when I just realized I physically couldn't do any more, but I wanted to, again, help more people. And I, and this kind of shining beacon came through my coaching process. And I was like, this is an opportunity that I can't really pass up. Let's just see what we can do. And that was Anna, who, is, who has just been such an, a fundamental part of the growth of, my, of our business. Um, and so I approached her to, to come on as the first coach. I think I met her at a conference that we went to properly in person. And we're both so introverted and we're both awkward. And I was like, oh, do you want to come on to my team? And she was like, oh, and it was really awkward. And um, yeah, that's kind of how things then started progressing from then. We'll fill in the gaps in just a moment. But how many how many coaches are on the team now? Seven. Amazing. Okay, so a lot of people struggle with this part of growing a business. They get to a place where they're full, Hiring is something they see other people doing and then they just either get it wrong um, or just don't know where to start. So when you hired Anna, what what was it that you saw in her? Obviously, there's the history within your business, but were there any certain, were there any similarities to yourself, complementary skills, values, or, or what was, was it that you were looking for? Or was it just a case of, oh, I like this person, maybe it'll work? Mm-hmm. Do you know what? It's funny because it's changed quite a lot since since Anna came on in terms of what I look for in people. But originally with Anna, I wanted somebody who was similar to me, who knew all of my processes, who could slot in, who had a similar personality even, who I got on with and who I felt like people would get a good, just as good a service or a similar service that they would from me with her. And so I wanted someone that it was basically at that point what I felt like was a bit of a mini me she's completely coming to her own now but at that point that was definitely what I was looking to bring on um and then over time that has has massively shifted I don't I deliberately don't try and take people on that are the same as me anymore I want people with different skills I want people who are better the, the most recent shift is people who are better than me which is always a little bit of an uncomfortable one to accept but um, it's definitely shifted and I think they're all better than me including Anna in certain parts of the business now but I think I think I see a lot of people trying to grow their teams and I, and I think most people do it wrong which is why I was interested to have this conversation because for me it was now I make sure everyone's got similar values some shared values 
um, I don't mind what the other ones are, but we need to have shared values and in an initial conversation, that is the number one thing that I will get from somebody. But I, I, to me, I think people, I think nowadays it's like the done thing to try and grow your business. And I think most of the time it's an ego thing of people wanting to take on new coaches when they're maybe not full, when they can't guarantee that they'll have a certain number of clients, which you can never really do, right? You can, I can never say to my coaches, I can guarantee you're always going to have a minimum of this many clients. Like I can't do that. But do you think people take on more and more coaches when they're maybe not ready to take on more because they want to have this big team? And I also think that people take on coaches who they maybe don't necessarily consider their values and they end up getting the wrong people and these are the people that tend to leave within a year or two after they've got everything they want from you and then they can leave and that's totally right and I respect that so much for people that like I know that if any of my coaches leave we'll have had a good relationship and they're on to the next best thing but I definitely think from the outside or I can see a lot of us people just taking people on as a means to make themselves more money and as a means to improve their ego or m massage their ego as opposed to the way that I'd seen it with Anna was that I want to make you the best coach because I really value you as a person and I think you're great and you have so much to offer. And that's how I've taken on every coach since then. Of like, Each of my coaches, I think, have exceptional skills and are incredible and anyone who works with them is so lucky. And so when I take them on, I think, can you help loads of people and do I, do I uh, believe in you enough to try and push you to do that? Yes. And that's how I take on people, not can I just fob off all the clients that I don't want to work with onto you? Like that is a, there's a clear distinction there. And I think that's what a lot of people get wrong in my opinion. Yeah, definitely. What's the trigger for you or within the business that tells you it's time to hire the next coach or another coach? Is there a certain metric? Is there a certain um, time that's being taken from you that you want to get back by hiring? Like what is it that triggers a new hire? So with Anna, it was that I was full and I wanted to get some time back. So that was the initial one. And then uh, Georgia was, this, I actually had a coach in between, actually. I, I worked with a coach between Anna and Georgia and that didn't work out. Our values were not aligned. Our work ethics were not aligned, etc. So that, that didn't work out. Um, and then, but when I took on that person, when I took on Georgia, again, it was, this is taken up a bit too much of my time. When I took on Georgia, I was studying to do my counselling stuff and I needed that time back. For me, one of my key values with myself and one of my key markers of success is having time with my family, time to travel, trying to have relationships. Like I'm very balanced in my approach to work. And so if it's taken up, if I'm working seven days a week, that's not for me anymore. It's, I've done enough of that. So it's the, it's the time thing. Um, and then when I took on like, I took on five coaches, sorry, four coaches at once and then another person. What I did with them is I'd, I'd again, Georgia was full, Anna was full. I was starting to think, okay, I need to get more time back. And I interviewed all of these girls who had come from EIQ Nutrition. I was like, oh my God, these women, these are all amazing women. I don't know what to, like, how am I going to pick between them? They've all got their own skills. And I thought, can I guarantee them clients? No. This is a big, like, that was a big jump for me. And I thought, I want to work with all of you. I want to help all of you. And I want, like, you guys can do so much. So I took them all on at once. And that was a big, that was a big shift for me. Normally I'm like, either want my time back or we're all feeling like we've all hit our max clients. Let's take on more. And this one was like, okay, let's just do it as a big team. Let's all grow and do it that way. Um, and so that's how, so with them, it was kind of like, 
the, the trigger was you've all got different skills uh, and, I, and I, I see this opportunity to develop the brand as with all of your different skills and all of your different personalities. And then more recently with Rosalind, who I took on, who's a dietitian, she just happened to email me and say, what's the situation in terms of you taking on coaches, which people will do, but people will do it and they'll be like, try and say, oh, I like mindfulness and I like to do all these things. And I have, and they've got all of the stuff that all of my coaches already have. And she came to me and she was like, I'm a yoga teacher. I'm a dietitian. I work with these people. And I was like, you've got skills that I'm never going to have. So let's bring them in. So it shifted from need from like client numbers to me trying to buy back time, which was like the next phase for me. And then into you have skills. People just come to come into me with skills that I would love to have on the team. And so it's kind of transitioned through time, I think. Yeah. And what's the process for hiring? So I think, all right, and Sana, you may have just mentioned this, that you only take on people that have been through EIQ now, right? Yeah, in general. So unless it's a specific situation, so like Rosalind, for example, is a dietitian, she, mm. it's a different kind of background. But in general, yeah, that's a nice tick box. And, and Emma's the same. We like to know that you've got the fundamentals of what we think is important with coaching. And that comes through EIQ. So that's a general tick box. And then for me, it's kind of just conversations when we will have, it's not, I wouldn't call them interviews, it genuinely is conversations where I find out a what your personality is like. B like what your values are. Values is probably the, the number one thing that I, that I want to know, and that you even understand what your values are. Like that's fundamental too. Um, and then really trying to understand like what people's projections are for themselves. When I bring people onto the team, ideally I want people who want to be on the team for a long time because. I'm invested, I'm investing myself into helping these people grow about development with courses and, and conversations and mentorship and stuff like that. And I don't mentor a lot of people. And so, and they bring so much goodness to my team. And so I want people that are not going to stay for a year and then leave after they've learned all that they can and then leave, although that's totally their prerogative. That's not necessarily what I'm looking for. And so it honestly is just a conversation of like, Yes, previous coaching history is important, but I don't need people who are the most experienced coaches in the world or the most knowledgeable. I'm looking for people that add a bit of spice to the team or a little bit of flavor. I know that if I get 10 inquiries in a day, I can look at that and go, that's Steph's personality. That's Lynn's personality. She's got, she needs tough love. That's that person's personality. That's what I want. So when I hire people, I am looking at personality, values, goals, and a fundamental level of experience and nutrition. But again, I think what people get wrong sometimes is they take coaches on and then they expect them to have the same work ethic, the same dedication to the business, the same knowledge, the same experience. And like that's not going to be the case. So I don't even look for a lot of that stuff because it's like that's never going to match up to where I am because I've been doing it for longer and I don't expect that. Yeah, 100% agree. How have you found the transition from you know, being responsible for you, for, for yourself and your business to now being responsible and managing a team of other coaches? Um, I think it's, I think the pressure's a lot more now. Like I feel a lot of pressure because I just want them to be happy. I want them to, to earn enough money. I want them to grow. And so I feel that pressure a lot. With my 
and I feel I definitely not so much now but I definitely that's a lie I definitely do feel it now because Anna had Anna and I had this discussion when I was in Austin where it was a full moon and she was like oh what are you letting go of this full moon and we were laughing about it and I said you know I'm letting go of this feeling that I'm not a good enough mentor so I still definitely have that in me that imposter syndrome where it used to be as a coach and I know we've spoken probably years ago we spoke about imposter syndrome around like coaching side of things but for me that transferred into being a mentor in the sense of I just felt like I was I, I, I didn't know why I was a mentor because again my but the business side of things for me has never been like a huge focus until the last year or two where I've really worked at it but it felt kind of like I was just really lucky I got in at the right time with relationship with food stuff and I was lucky to have been authentic and say, say all this stuff and to build a brand so when I then moved into mentoring a little bit more, I felt like maybe this was all luck and I had nothing to show people. And I know that that's not the case now. But so I definitely had that shift to deal with. Um, and yeah, the pressure of just wanting them to be happy. is I feel that every single day um, and to be successful. And I feel that every single day. But I love it. I definitely initially had some issues with um, my own boundaries and accountability so I think people think and I've definitely heard this before people think that I'm like this super compassionate soft kind like person that will just do whatever say yes and just do whatever but I'm actually quite hard and quite hard on my clients sometimes because like that there's like that fear side of compassion that I'm, I'm very good at in these days and same with my coaches I can be really tough love on them too if if that is required because I again it comes from a place of I mean, they don't really need it, but like it comes from the place of I want you to do your best. Right. So that was a hard one for me to start to develop that harder side of things when I all, when all I wanted to do was please them all the time and give them clients and make them happy. So it's been a transition. But like for me now, hold having this team and they know this, like that they are my core priority, regardless of anything else is them their growth and their happiness and and I will do anything I can to make that happen and then for me that's a great feeling to be like so into something that I can and just so into other people and I would say this to the coaches like I'm in love with them I think they're the best in the world and so I'll do anything I can to support that so it's been a nice a nice transition but there was definitely a year or two where I didn't really know what I was doing and I and I would get frustrated at people if they didn't want things the same way I wanted them or if they didn't do things the way I wanted to do, why don't they care? Why are they not getting up at 5 a.m. to do this? Because it's not their business. Why would they be getting up at 5 a.m. to do this? Or, like, I was like, why don't they just have the same work ethic as me? And again, this is not, actually, this is nothing to do with the coaches that I have now. But why don't they have the same work ethic as me? And I found that really hard to get over that hurdle. Yeah. And so, we, obviously, you, you've spoke a lot about the values and and their personalities and and how they are as coaches have you had to or have you installed any systems procedures that are designed to help you better manage so whether it's one-on-ones group meetings like how do you review your coaches how do you manage them how do you ensure that they're making progress doing well and adding value and receiving value as well as from a more kind of systems perspective like what have you had to do yeah well, I actually started looking at numbers in the last year, which for me is like, wow. that's a big push. I know. <laughs> I know. Things went wild this year um, because I don't like that side of stuff. I, do, I find any of that stuff takes away the joy from what I'm doing. And so I don't, as long as I kind of know roughly 
that I'm either growing or maintaining, depending on where I'm at. Um, I don't, I don't know the ins and outs. However, in the last year, for sure, I've definitely become more meticulous with that. When I, so the the my team massively grew about a year and a half ago, and at that point, I realised that I would have to do something with Anna. We would just have conversations, and like I, I could, I was hers was the only social media I was looking at. I knew, she, I knew all the coaches, the clients that were with me were with Anna. And so it was really easy to see what was going on with her and have those conversations. But then as we grew, I realized that I couldn't look at seven social medias every single day, all the time, everyone's stories. And it was I couldn't keep on top of it in that way. And I also couldn't keep on top of seven different girls' lives in the way that I wanted to keep on top of them and their own personal things that they had going on. And so I realized I had to be a little bit more strategic with things. So at, when I actually took them on, so at that point I'd gone from three to, I'd taken on another four, was um, Anna became like our head coach. And the reason that, there's a lots of reasons why I did that. But one of the reasons, apart from the fact that she's excellent, is that it helps with management of management side of things. Um, and also because for me, connection is so important and I'm aware that some of the things my coaches are struggling with they don't maybe don't want to tell me or they need that extra bit of support that Anna can provide so that's the first thing is that I, that Anna is incredible at helping to manage that side of things and so we have monthly one-to-ones I'll have mon- monthly one-to-ones with all of the coaches and we also have every two weeks we'll have a team meeting um where I'll hold one one week so once a month and Anna will hold one the other one so we've got two a month and I'm not at the other one and again that just allows them to have a community where they can talk about things a little bit more freely that if they feel like they, as much as I want them to feel that they can tell me everything I'm not an idiot there will be things that they feel that they don't want to and so so those are the regular meetings but they're very I'm very clear on we have a group whatsapp and we use that every single day to communicate stuff about like support about a specific issue that one of them have got or ideas that we've got we're very very we're a very close-knit group in that sense and on top of that so they've got a meeting next week that I've written loads of questions for that is just with Anna that's like why is me all your shit like to get as much of that as you can so that next year I can be better and that to me is super important that they feel that they can do that um but then on top of that like I hired a VA only about a year not even not even a year ago Maybe it's slightly less than that. And she does all my numbers for me. She's like an angel sent from heaven. And she um, will put all of the coaches like, so I'll get my inquiries through. And then she will um, quantify how many go to each coach. She gets the data from them, you know, what their call rate is, what their sign up rate is, what their retention rate is, what their numbers are. And so then in my one-to-ones, I don't have to do all those numbers. I did do it for about six months and I realised just how many hours it was taking me and how much I hated it. Um, So I don't do that anymore, but I do have their numbers so I can see, you know, she's got strength with calls. What is she doing differently? Um, This person signed up five people from five calls in one week. What did she do? Let's share that and and, um, share that with the other coaches. So we do have the specific number side of things too, but we also, like, I think where our key communication and, and, building comes from is just the fact that we all really love each other a lot and we have those we fostered an environment where um one of them can say I've had 
10 calls and no one signed up like i don't understand what's going on and we can just have a really natural discussion in a whatsapp group on a, on a thursday night or something rather than it to be in like this big official thing because i know that when some of the girls started when we first started doing one-to-ones they would all be like so nervous to have a one-to-one with me and then it's literally like we're just obviously just sit down and having a chat with, like it was always just like me like what what can i do like what do you need from me what do you need from me and then after the first well they're all people pleasers so let's give it six months after that point um it's become much more of a natural thing now but i definitely it did take a long time for them to realize that i wasn't about to shout at them and to stop feeling anxious because that's obviously a big barrier initially yeah i think as cliche as it is just being very intentional with the culture it sounds like you created the culture over the over a period of six months where they feel safe to to share what they need to share and improve themselves and improve the business i used to have a a member of the team who was a super um people pleaser and i just created a rule where in our one-to-one she had to tell me three things that were negative and she wasn't getting out of the one-to-one until she told me three negative things about either myself or the business um and I just kind of created that environment where, you know, it was going to happen. It wasn't a big deal. Like I expected to hear it. So, yeah, I, I think, love that. Yeah, I think being intentional about the culture, culture as you have been is, is super important. Sorry, go on. Yeah. One thing that we do actually that I read about in, um, I think I heard about a podcast and it's um, a church of fail. I can't remember his name. I think it's Matthew Matheson. And he does it in his company and he has like a church of fail. And what he does is at team meetings is ask everyone to stand up and say one thing that they failed at this week what did they fail at what did they learn and what will they do different next time and then everyone gives them a round of applause and says well done for failing and that's something that i've started incorporating into our group things of like tell me where you failed and it's horrible for people pleasers to be like i failed especially again we're all a team of perfectionists like the idea of failing is horrible but i think celebrating failure i think netflix em and i were talking about this at a talk actually netflix have a failure rate right of like how many times they should be failing and i think that's super super important and Brene brown has a book called dare to lead and like obviously she's one of my idols but i'd read her book before i even started mentoring just because she'd written it and it talks about like how to create vulnerability in the workplace certain meeting techniques you can use um and so i incorporate a lot of that stuff within the way that we run the company so that we have that shared vulnerability of like there's nothing off limits that's amazing what was the book called the church of fail so the the book wasn't called church church of fail the idea was by an author called matthew matheson so he i don't know what book it came from and i don't know if it was on a podcast but it was his idea which is fab i think actually he did a podcast with adam grant and that's where it had come from um who i love and then Brittany Brown's book was Dare to Lead. Amazing. And then one more book, since you mentioned Netflix, if you've not read it, is No Rules Rules. Have you heard of that? Okay. Nope. So, What's so that's that? from the net that's so that's from the founder of Netflix. That's their culture. There's no rules. Um well they have one rule, do what's best for the company. And a big part of that is being completely frank and honest. Um and there are a few stories in there where new people have come into the company and have been shocked because you know a member of the customer service team has told the ceo off in a meeting um and been surprised that you know they've been allowed to get away with it but it's because this culture has been built of doing what's best for the company um and not at any cost but you know at the expense of most other things so 
it just kind of harks back to the importance of creating that environment. Well, I definitely recommend that book, though. No Rules Rules. Oh. Okay, no worries. I'll read that. Um, okay, cool. So we've we've got this team of coaches, and it sounds like things are going pretty well. Um, but I'm sure there's been some challenges along the way. So what would you say have been the biggest challenges in building that team and, and maintaining and, and managing it? I think for me, the first challenge for me was making the time and taking on less clients. That for me was hard because A, I wanted to help people, but B, it's the scarcity mindset of any, any business owner has that to some degree, right? Of like, I'm going to cut my clients down from 50 or 55 to 15. Like that for me was a big thing. And the only way that I could get around that was by reminding myself of like, what are my values? Like, what are my goals? my coaches come have to come first my clients will always come first but you know what i mean like that's why i reduced yeah. them um <clears throat> that was a big challenge for me of just watching those numbers go down every time some every time they went down i would freak out and that consistently obviously happened over 30 clients is that right 40 50 clients, 40 clients god good maths um so that was the that was the first thing for me um the second thing was like i said one of my coaches didn't work out and I felt like a massive failure. It's like when one of your clients doesn't drop body fat and you think I failed them in some way if they're a fat loss client. And for me, that was really hard. I put a lot of energy into trying to make that work. I'd done everything the way that I'd done it with Anna. I was like, why is this not working? Why are we not connecting properly? And why can I not help him develop in the way that I want him to develop? And it, it was not no reflection of him whatsoever. Um, it just the, the combination just wasn't ideal. And the the hard thing for me there was again understanding that people don't necessarily want things as much as I want them, and trying to get I think failing to get the best out of someone I I really really struggled with because I love that when I was lecturing that's what I was always trying to do when I'm coaching that's always what I'm trying to do and I couldn't get the best out of this person and I. And I, I probably wasted a lot of time. That relationship between us went on longer than it should have done. And I wasted a lot of time trying to um, fix something that was broken. Again, personal life coming right in here. Um, fix things that probably should have been like let go a long time ago. Um, and so that was a really, really big challenge for me. And... I think for me too, when you when a when a client is not seeing what they want, you can keep a bit of a distance because you know they're not your best mate. For me, with my coaches, I've deliberately had quite loose boundaries with them, deliberately because I want this close knit group. But as a result of that, I care a hell of a lot, and they care a hell of a lot, and I find it very. I've had to find. I found it really hard to not be a people pleaser with them that's been a big challenge for me when someone is not necessarily doing what is required for them to progress in the temp in the sense of like we've got this deal that you're going to show up on social media this many times and you're going to do these and i'm going to do this in return if people are not sticking to their commitments i definitely the people pleaser in me really struggles to not say oh it's okay let's try something else and to be really quite hard as much as I said, you know, like I'm good on the fierce compassion stuff, I do find it still very, very hard. And I do get off meetings and feel quite, um, sometimes quite emotional about things where 
I've had to be a little bit harder than I, than I like to be. Um, and then the other side of that too is I feel that sometimes you can overinvest in the people that you're working with. And sometimes I, and I'm definitely overinvested in the girls, <coughs> probably to probably to no one's benefit, but that's the type of person I am. And um, so I sometimes struggle with when I know that we've got a team of like eight of us, right? We are all women. We all know like, not trying to be sexist towards them, but we all have emotions, we all have personal lives, right? And there'll be times, and there have been times, where each of my coaches is going through what I would describe as being probably hell for them. And they've all, and what's amazing is that we have a relationship where we can talk about these things. But for me then, I've also I've had a big family thing happen this year too, so I've got my own things. And for me, one of the struggles that I've had is trying to find a sounding board where I can talk about what's going on in the business without sharing people's personal information. And so trying to get an outlet where I feel really heavy that this person's going through this and this person's going through this, but I can't tell anyone and I would never tell anyone these people's personal lives. Trying to support them whilst also trying to find somewhere to offload that, that's a safe space, which is usually a journal and it has been therapy. And I think the personal base side of things has become more and more important for me as time's gone on and to to ensure that they can trust me with stuff where I'm not just going to explode onto somebody and be like oh well Anna's going through this and Steph's going through this and like that's not fair so I think that's been a big one for me of trying to um manage my own boundaries and people pleasing um and not blur the lines which I think is I think that's quite challenging if you're somebody who really genuinely cares about the people that you're with. Yeah, and that's all, that's something that only gets more challenging as the team grows. So, mm-hmm. you know, right now you have these relationships with the girls at seven, eight people. Imagine that, 20 yeah. people, 30 people. Mm-hmm. And on that, what's the plan? Is Do you do you see, tw- you know, a team of 20 coaches, 30 coaches? Is, is that on the horizon or something that you want to do? Um, for me, I mean, possibly I, scaling for me doesn't necessarily just look like the financial and the number side of things. If all of my coaches get to the point where they've got a good work-life balance, that they, I say good, like what that looks like for them, whatever that is. Um, and I also have that and someone comes along that offers something different, then I'll, then I'll grow in that way. But I don't have this goal of like taking over the world and um building this ginormous brand just for the sake of the money or the the ego or the recognition like that's not a priority for me but I still think I still know that we'll grow because I know that the girls are excellent and they'll be consistently full at some point and and some and we will then do that but again I'm not in a rush to do it the the goal is for them to be at a point where they're all comfortable and happy and then and then grow and that's my that's my priority and and again I've got EIQ and I want to start a family at some point and I've got my own family things and so for me my markers of success are spending time with these people and and it might be that I actually have to take a couple of months off completely at some point um for other family things and so and my coaches know that too and so their priority one of their priorities and I know for all of them is that they want to be able to do that. If I need to do that, they want to be able to carry the ship when I can't for a few months. And I know that they're all dedicated to doing that. So that's re- like that's really where I see growth of 
if everyone's happy, then yes, let's let's bring on some more people. Let's bring on some different people because it's really funny. I definitely see with ETPHD that in the last year or two, when I scroll on social media, it's like it's like I'm just it's like did I write that? Is that is, was that mine? And it's it's constant, and I don't mind, right? I I don't like that. That stuff used to bother me, but now I don't I don't care. But what's amazing is that the culture of fitness has changed so much that the standard of coaching is excelling now. It's it's so good, and there are so many people that are hot on the heels of what I've done. I need to make sure that we are still like the number one people. So my growth for the next year is focused on how are we upskilling. What are we offering that's different? Where are we better than everyone else? Because if I'm not, that, that's my priority. Because if, if we're not better than everyone else, then we're screwed. And so I stand by us always being industry leaders. And if that means we take our foot off the growth side and focus predominantly on the skill side for six months or a year, and that is potentially, like that's sort of the way that we've been going recently, then that's that's how we progress and then once we've got those skill sites and we've got those extra strands to our work then we can push again on the numbers because we're still way ahead of the game so I think I also think sometimes people forget that it's like it's not just fat loss it's not just banter it's like realistically why is anyone going to come to you when someone is half the price of you um, and they're saying all the same things because they've copied it all from your social media like realistically you have to be better yeah 100% and it's so good to hear because I think it's a nice reminder for people that better isn't just more followers, more money. There's actual skills and um, ability to impact lives that people should exactly. be um, trying to improve upon. And that will trigger growth, right? As it has done for you. And, and as you've just said, it's kind of part of the progression of the business is upskilling. And, you know, it's not, it may not even be a case of then focusing on growth again. It, that upskilling will trigger the growth, hopefully, I'm sure. Exactly. So before we move on from team stuff, um, if a coach, let's say I'm a coach, is at the point where you were 50, 60 clients needing some time back and was thinking about starting to build a team, hire coaches or hiring a coach, what maybe two, three bits of advice would, would you give to me? I think if you, if you are ready to take someone on, ideally the first person you take on, you want to try and poach someone that you already know and that you trust and um, maybe it's been a client or maybe it's a coach that you know from the industry that you followed for a long time I would avoid mass advertising for people because I think it doesn't weed out the people that are not invested if you've got an email list now is the time to use your email list or people that you've communicated with before reach out to those people because I think your first person that you take on is fundamental to how it goes for for moving forwards um so think about people that you've spoken to before and reach out to them i think manager expectations don't think that you're just going to bring someone on and people are going to want to work with them that doesn't happen either that's definitely something that i experienced was not so much with anna but and it doesn't happen anymore because of the systems we've put in place but people want to work with you you are ultimately as a coach it's you're the person you're they're buying into you. They're not buying into, oh, you use this platform and, oh, you. this is how you coach. Realistically, that's not. So don't think that you can take someone on and just be like, oh, fob off clients onto them. Think about like how that transition is going to go. Start already thinking about how you're selling your work. Are you selling it as a you or are you selling it as a, a method, as a, as a as systems, as 
I hate that phrase pain points but like what problem you're solving think about it much more as a we as opposed to you and I would start that straight away either come up with a method and that took me too long to do that and I credit actually Steve Steve McGrath for this because he we had this conversation about um what I offer and he was like you need to have some sort of name that's why it's got a crap name and I will rebrand it at some point but it was like a last minute okay I need a, a method or something that I can sell as opposed to selling me and so having that thought is really really helpful and then make sure that you take someone on that has shared values like that's fundamental um and I think that's maybe it that's maybe three I think that's three amazing so at some point during this business that you've been building very successfully um you decided to launch another business with emma story gordon called eiq um why and tell us a bit about what that is so i got offered to write so i'd written the nutrition course for optimum nutrition and loved doing that and then i got offered to write a nutrition course and i can say this because he talked about it on his podcast luke johnson asked me to write the nutrition course for pt collective and we were in discussions about it. And um, at this point, Em and I had sort of been online friends, but we weren't really good friends at this point. And when they'd asked me to write this course, I was emailing him and we were, Emma had arranged for two of us and two of our other friends to go to this lodge for the weekend to try and get to know each other properly, basically. And so we were at this lodge and I said, oh, this person has asked me to write this nutrition course and isn't this cool? And she was like, you could do that yourself. Like, oh, I don't really know. And she's like, you could do that yourself. And she's like, I'll do it with you. And she's like, and let, let, let's set a target on it that on the first intake that we do it, you're going to earn more money than you would get from doing that for like the full year. And I was like, oh, okay. And so what what is, I mean, I could talk about him all day and be like all these incredible things, right? Well, what is, she's got such a skill of saying, you're good at that. Let's Let's capitalize on that. And she's very good at knowing her own strength as well. And um, so she said, you're like together and she's right together. Emma's an incredible business brain. And I had the academic background. She's like, we could do this. And honestly, that was that was the birth of it. It was like, let's just do it. And so we knew we knew that there was a gap for evidence based nutrition that wasn't at the time this mega long and detailed course. We wanted to improve access to nutrition information for PTs who maybe didn't have the huge, like a really solid academic background. Some of them do have, but we wanted to just improve access to that. And for people that didn't necessarily have thousands and thousands of pounds to invest in a nutrition course. And we also, the way that Emma talks about nutrition is slightly different to the way that I talk about it. But again, nobody was talking about relationship with food in an education sense or compassionate coaching in an education sense. And so, we thought, well, let's just put it all down onto paper. And, and that is what we did. And that's where EIQ kind of grew from. So it's a it's a four month course and a graduate scheme now, which is it's developed over time where it's um, we cover like the basics of nutrition, evidence based nutrition, macros, dieting, etc. But we also cover things like women's health and um, periods, menopause, PCOS and mindfulness, emotionally eating. And things like that and we bring in a lot of guest experts now as well which has grown over time but we decided to do that i think that was in november december of 2019 and then we kind of were chatting about it and we started to set some rough dates 
and then we launched it mid-2020 lockdown like we were kind of like let's just let's just see what happens we had obviously a bit more time because we were stuck in the house and we put a lot of work into the content but we didn't overthink the presentation we didn't overthink anything we were just like this is what we want it to look like and again Emma's fantastic at action she's just like let's just do this this and this and, and so we planned we planned a 2020 launch and we launched it in May 2020 mid lockdown and all online luckily that luckily it was all online so it, it shouldn't have been impacted and luckily PTs although maybe they were we could have looked at it two ways struggling with money because they weren't in person anymore or had more time wanted to upscale because they were working at home and that's the way that we chose to kind of positively think about it amazing and then so it's an intake based program right how many intakes have it's happened an, now um so we launched in 2020 and we had we've had three intakes a year since then and then in 2023 it's gone down to two intakes um so we've had well that's Two years times three, six. Again, great with numbers. Great with numbers. Good, good job um, you've got that VA. I know, honestly. <laughs> look, I know my strengths, okay? That's important. Um, so, yeah, and but we also now have a graduate scheme where um, students can, once they finish the course, stay on. And that is, like, unrivaled in terms of we get a guest speaker in every month to do a lecture and a podcast to talk about various things in training nutrition or coaching skills and we have like a, the eiq community is unrivaled in terms of like what i think of a fitness community space it's just like all of these coaches that just want to be the best for their clients they just want to help more people they just want to upscale and help each other and so we have like the graduate scheme kind of builds on that and allow, we have like monthly sessions with all of the coaches and weekly lives and things like that that are in person not in person stuff but like um video format stuff that we consistently are communicating with the students and the graduates which is one of the best things about eiq aside from like the actual content how has how has that impacted etphd has it as in terms of you know your ability to run both like what changes did you have to make or if any do you know what it hasn't there's a couple of reasons why it hasn't really impacted um things there's a lot of crossover um, in the sense of a lot of the methods that we use, I'll teach on EIQ because a lot of the reason that's why people will join EIQ. And um, a lot of my clients have done EIQ and, and vice versa. It's it's There's a lot of crossover there. One thing I'll say is that I'm very lucky that my business partner is Emma and I've definitely worked a lot more in the last few years than I than I maybe would have done if I wasn't best friends and business partners with Emma um sometimes more than I would like and I've had to be accountable to that because we're quite different in that sense we have slightly different values and that's the strength of working with someone that has slightly different values you can push you in some ways but you have to be really accountable to your own stuff so um it's 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 a lot more work but I am a lot better at um not overthinking things i'm a lot I've, i'm less of a perfectionist now i don't have the time to do all of those things like to overthink things i don't have the time to say i'm going to launch this in six months time and this is the step that i'm going to do like at the moment i'm like right i'm going to launch something i know i'm going to launch like a free thing between christmas and new year it's now what this is it 19th and i'm like I, I went on a walk there and I, 20th right so i just went on a walk and i thought that's five days away right this is what it's going to look like 
okay, we'll make it work. And that's in five days and I'm not even working that week because I'm taking it off with my family. In the past, I would have thought, well, I don't have time to do that now. So I'll wait until the new year and then I'll do it. Whereas uh, now, because I've got so much to do, I don't have the, the luxury of taking all of that time to do stuff. I just have to get on with it. And again, that's that's part of a wear off from Emma. Um, but also just because the more you do, because Parkinson's law, right? The more time you have, the more time you take. And I don't have the time. So, and I refuse to, the other thing is I'm so clear in my boundaries of like um, wanting time for family and friends that I refuse to take time away. Even if I've got tons to do, I'm like, nope, I committed to seeing this person or going on that date or doing these things. I'm doing that regardless. So I've, I've just not got enough time to do these things. So it's either good, like I just have to get it done. Um, so yeah, for sure it's created more work, but it's one of the most, again, it's one of the most fulfilling things that, that I know that Emma and I have both done. Because again, we both value impact and helping as many people as we can. And how can we help more people? We can create coaches that can help more people millions of people like below that and so we've got big plans for that in terms of how we can progress that and what's what's it been like transitioning to helping other coaches and trainers at you know at scale um any surprises realizations of what the industry is like or what the coaches are like or or yeah any mm. insights gained it's really funny because we talk about this quite a lot that our echo chamber is so good our EIQ coaches are so good. Our coaches that we work with are so good. And, and we forget actually the state of some, not coaches, but like the, some parts of the industry. We forget how dark it is because we're so stuck in this echo chamber. But for, I didn't love the fitness industry for a while. I would say after competing, um, I very much struggled with how bro it still was and how much of an outsider I felt like when I was talking about all this stuff. And I got quite a lot of backlash from the fitness community because it was like I was demonizing dieting and I was bad mouthing competing after I'd just like built a business off it and stuff. And I got a lot of backlash and I didn't like it. I dated some people in it and I was really bitter towards it all. And I was like, I don't love the fitness industry that much. And then through working with the coaches at ETPHD and through EIQ, I've real I've I kind of remembered like how most people get into PT because they just want to help people and they just want to be the best. And when people are not doing things right, it's not because they're intentionally doing things wrong. I mean, there are obviously some people within the industry that do that, but realistically it's because they don't have access to the information. And, and so for us, like we just, when we hear a coach will share a win in EIQ about how they support someone to stop emotionally eating, or they finally got fat loss and they've had PCOS. And after years of trying for us, like, it's like we win again, even though we've not done the work. Like, Em and I are so lucky to be able to feel like we get a win from that. And the the industry gets a win from another coach doing such a good job. And we, like, we're so, so proud of all of the coaches. We try and get to know as many of the coaches as we can that do EIQ, the ones that are vocal, we, like, we'll chat to all the time and give them bits of advice all the time because it's, it's yeah, for us, in terms of our values, it's it's incredible. Um. And it's definitely reminded us that the industry is so good. And if you want it to be good, and that's where we choose to put our focus on the good stuff rather than, and you'll see this, right? Especially as like in the mentoring side of stuff, there's so much comparison and so much bitterness between people who are doing well in the industry and so much like, just like not trying to knock each other down. And that's so the opposite of what we do, do on EIQ. We've created 
or we wanted to create such a space of support and collaboration and authenticity uh, that's why I don't talk a lot about mentoring and stuff even though I do mentoring because I don't ever want to be sucked into that world I find it really uncomfortable whereas with the IQ it's like we can still do all the mentoring stuff but it's much more collaborative and, and friendly yeah I get that publicly it's toxic privately you can do it just don't tell anyone don't tell anyone on Instagram <laughs> Don't run any Facebook <laughs> yeah. ads. You'll be fine. Yeah. Cool. Um, I really enjoyed this chat. I've got a few finishing questions for you if you're up for it. <laughs> so first of all, what do the next few years look like for you as a business owner? So ETPHD and EIQ. EIQ is going to obviously take over the world. Um, we EIQ is going to be the number one nutrition course, online nutrition course within five years, 100%. Um, and I'm excited to push that. ETPHD is going to continue to grow with people that are outside of my skill set. And the coaches are going to, uh, the coaches have so much potential in terms of their own learning that they're going to just, I would, I would already say they're the best coaches in the industry for what we do. Um, but they're just going to, to excel at that. Um, I am going to be taking a lot of personal time. So my life will look slightly different. Um, and my workload will probably look slightly less. But those things will continue to grow because my coaches are so good at what they do that ETPHD will continue to grow with their input because they are so good. Um, and Level Up events will continue to grow too. So we do two events a year. And again, it's we wanted to create a safe space where fitness professionals could come and have a good time and learn and party and feel safe when they did that. And so that is going to continue to grow as well. I don't know how, Amazing. just in numbers. What, what is the plan for Level Up? Is it two events a year, more people? Yeah, two events a year, more people. Again, what we did with Level Up is the way that Level Up was born was quite last minute um, for various reasons that we won't go into the podcast. We really wanted to launch an in-person event and we'd... Um, just let me mull over what I want to say here. Um, yeah, so we launched it last minute. Um, barely any marketing, but we and it was mostly people from EIQ that came to the event, and it was fantastic. And everyone who, all the speakers, kind of were people that we knew, and they they gave up their time, and it was fantastic. And then, um, the second time again, we didn't hugely market it, but this, the the quality of the speakers are just incredible and what we also do at level up is we we've combined it with an eiq day and this is this is something that we feel really passionately about so we have one full day where it's just eiq speakers speaking about what they're interested in because we want ifs an incredible are an incredible fitness event every year and and you know they've said to us how can what women can we have on this stage to talk what other women and we struggled um, and I struggled, we struggled to identify people that we would like to push forward for that. And so what, and it's not just for women EIQ, like it's men, and it's all genders, but we really want to escalate the voices of people from EIQ who are really, really good coaches and really knowledgeable about certain stuff. And so we have one day attached onto Level Up where it's just EIQ speakers, they get 20 to 30 minutes to talk about what they're passionate about and how they support their clients so that they're getting that experience so that they can then go off and do talk somewhere else. And so that when people ask us, 
what other women can we bring to the stage? And when I can be like, oh, these people are experienced or men or other genders. Um, so that's a big that's a big focus for us in terms of level up will continue to grow, but we want to also grow that that kind of EIQ attachment to it so that we can create more space for more platforms for more coaches. Amazing. And I know that having more female speakers, authorities in the industry is something we could probably do an entire podcast on. I don't know if you remember, I think I sent you a message in 2019, maybe 2020, because we were desperate for female mentors at OFB. Um, and we never ended up finding one. Um, but that's a, like an entirely different discussion. What's something that you hate about the industry? Um, I hate... Hmm. The industry, I, I hate the dishonesty. I hate that. And I hate, and this is two things, but I hate the way that people see clients as a means to an end for their financial success. And I hate the way that mentors see coaches as a means to their financial success. I think as soon as we start seeing people as a means to an end, we dehumanize people and we lose connection. And I think that that is a real problem that coaches have with clients when they the way in the way that they market sometimes it, it's dehumanizing towards people and it it ruins that connection and, and i think that's really sad because ultimately we're a person-centered industry and i think the way that mentors coach um coaches is really dehumanizing it's you know belittling them for not working hard enough and again using them as this person earned this amount of money within a week without it's very dehumanizing and then again people coaches who tend to take on coaches to work within their team as a means to give them the crap clients and to make them more money again super dehumanizing and i think more recently that's what i dislike unfortunately yeah definitely agree what's the biggest mistake you see other coaches making and maybe specific to business um <sighs> trying to be like someone else why and I, this sounds really conceited but why would anybody work with you if all of your content is mine why would they not work with me or my coaches what is amazing about people is that we all have such strengths and i know a lot of coaches from eiq who say the same thing that i do but they have a different personality or they frame it in a different way and i can see why someone would work with them because they're just incredible why on earth are you trying to be like anyone else when the more authentic you can be the better your business is going to be so like i think the copying thing is a is still a huge issue don't know if you see that i definitely see it and i've asked this question so this is the third podcast that i've recorded and i've asked that question three times and that's the same answer i've had all three times <laughs> no way um, yeah so um it's definitely an issue but it's, it's one that just doesn't stop and people don't see, I think it's, I don't know if it's a, an insecurity thing or whatever, just, or just looking over the garden fence and think, oh, they've got loads of views on this video of cooking a fajita or whatever it may be. Um, just very bland content. But yeah, totally agree. Okay. What's, let's finish on a high note. What's one thing that you love about the industry? Um, I love that realistically 95% of us just want to help people be healthier and happier 
And I and I think what how many businesses how many of us can live a purpose of just helping people in everything that we do? I met someone recently in Austin and he was saying it's just incredible that you can live your purpose and love it every single day in the work that you do. And how lucky are we as an industry that like that's our job is to just make people happier and healthier or to support people to find happiness and healthiness. Um, and, I, and I love that. And I love when people remember that. And I think we can be such a strong community as a whole. Like the fitness industry can be so friendly and welcoming if we choose it to be that way. And we focus on the fact that collectively all we're trying to do is help people. And that I just think, I think that's an amazing, how amazing it, fitness industry gets such a bad rep from people as if we're some sort of like diet culture pushers. And yes, there are a lot of that too. But realistically, we're the ones that are people facing. We're the ones that can really make a difference to people's lives. Um, and I love that most of us are just trying to do that every single day by putting out free content and by coaching in the way that we do. I think that's amazing. Yeah, 100% agree. Well, Amelia, this has been an amazing chat. Thank you for joining me. If people want to find you, where should they go? Instagram is the best place, Amelia Thompson PhD, and um, also EIQ Nutrition's Instagram, which is also on my page, but it's EIQ underscore nutrition. Yeah, we'll link second. it up. Yeah, we'll link it up. Don't worry in case it's wrong. Um, <laughs> cool. Thank you very much for joining me. Thank you for having me.